0: So I have a slightly unusual message tonight. <laughs> um, I'm going to talk about truly knowing God more to, and truly worshipping him, but I'm com- going to come about it from a very bizarre angle. Um, I'm actually going to start by talking about this really interesting character in the Bible, and his name's is Antichrist. Um, so I don't know if any of you guys come to a message to hear about worshipping And knowing god more and wind up hearing about the antichrist but that's what we're going to do tonight um and so i just want to say right from the start that learning about the antichrist means has like absolutely no significance whatsoever unless learning about him draws us closer and shows us the urgency of actually knowing the the one true christ jesus more and more it's I, I'm sure you guys will agree, agree with me, you know, I find this stuff interesting, but it's eternally insignificant unless it draws us, motivates us, drives us to, to discover the one true God. So I hope that's the process that we can all take together tonight. Um, I need your, I'm going to need your attention for the whole of the evening, if that's all good. Are, are we all awake right now? <laughs> Only a few people are awake, those with babies, not so much. Um, are, we, are we awake? So I need, your, I need your attention this entire time, or else it might just be a little bit of weirdness to you. Um, so we're going to start off, Mike, if you want to flick that first slide up, bro. We're going to talk about the Antichrist, and faithful faithful um, Google, you know, the, the internet's always right, right? You know, if you want to find out anything, you can just Google it, and it, and it tells you exactly what's going on. So um, I thought to start off this journey, I'd just have a little look on Google and see um, What is the Antichrist? Oh, George Bush with horns, you know. Um, Next one. Some sort of beast-like character on an upside-down cross with snakes roaming around him. The people in the background kind of like with pitchforks. Hmm, interesting. Interesting. Next one. Oh, the, the Pope? With horns once again. Next one? Oh, maybe Barack Obama is he the Antichrist? I'm not sure. And my personal favourite, if you want to flick the nice one, Oprah. I knew it would be Oprah. I knew it was her all along. I had these sneaking suspicions. Um, I just picked out a few of my favourites, but you can Google it yourself tonight when you get home. It's kind of depressing and dark if you just Google it. It's all black and like everything's like red and black and blood everywhere. It's Thankfully, this actually has nothing to do with the Antichrist. So, Mike, if you want to just close that off. Oh, no, yeah, that's a good slide to put it to. Um, so, yeah, Antichrist, right? You've got it got it up there on the board. The word anti is incredibly fascinating. Um, the, I'll just read it. You can see it up there. It says um, in, the, in the Greek, um, it means instead of, in return for, over and against, Opposite, in exchange for, and as a substitute for. Interesting, eh? Anti, that's the first part, Messiah. So Messiah or Christ. Who's the true Messiah? Jesus. So the Antichrist is instead of, in return for, as a substitute for, the true Messiah being Jesus. Interesting, eh? If you want to just flick back a couple of slides, Mike. One more, one more. Does that in any way, shape, or form look like somebody coming in the image of Jesus? If this dude rocked up, would you consider him to be in exchange for or somewhat similar to Jesus? Unlikely, unlikely. So I'm just going to start by reading Thessalonians. So if if you've got Bibles 2, Thessalonians 2 is the chapter. Okay, so now we request request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. So he's saying, just chill out, guys. Um, There hasn't been a secret rapture that you weren't invited to that's happened yet. Just Just relax. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed. What's apostasy? It's a big Bible word, eh? Apostasy. So the word apostasy means um, it's like a falling away or a departure from the truth. So when we we look at Christianity today and see our 33,000 different denominations, do you reckon that looks like a bit of a departure from truth? realizing that we are to be one, we are to be unified, and that there is one truth. Would you say 33,000 different ideas, concepts, opinions is a little bit divided? It's a little bit apostate. Um, So it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. That's another name for the Antichrist, known as man of lawlessness, also known as the abomination of desolation in Daniel or the Antichrist in, in John. The man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Now, this is the key verse. Who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. God, capital G, the one true God. So I read that again. Who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. might just read the rest of the chapter, just because it's interesting. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? And you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Interesting, maybe something to look up later. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Then the lawless one, remember the lawless one is known as Antichrist, will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth to bring an end by the, to bring to an end by the appearance of his coming, that is the one whose who's coming is in his accord with the activity of Satan with all power and signs and false wonders and with the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false, in order that all those whom, in order that they all may, may be judged who did not believe in the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. Now it gets a little bit lighter now, but we should always give thanks to God for you brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for, for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith and in truth. It was for this he called you through our gospel through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ so that then, brethren, so then brethren, stand firm and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or letter from us. Now may the Lord of Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work. And word, interesting little passage, eh? It's one of those ones that you kind of just read and skim over. Doing a bit of bedtime reading, I don't really, I don't really need to know that. Flick the page. It's the biggest. uh, Whenever I tell people I'm interested in learning about this sort of stuff, that's the biggest thing. Just doesn't matter. You just don't need to know about the end times. It's irrelevant. No one knows about it. No one knows what it means. So just turn the next page. And what I hope to illustrate tonight that, sure, these things can seem real bizarre and crazy, but is so very relevant to us today. Um, so what I'm going to talk about tonight is not necessarily the person of the Antichrist, but what's called the spur of the Antichrist. So um, in 1 John 4 verse 3, um, John tells us that the spur of Antichrist has been operating since Jesus was, uh, came in and walked on the earth. So I personally believe that there will be an Antichrist that comes at the end. But we're not so much going to focus on that tonight. We're going to focus on the spirit that's actually in work in at work in the world right now, today. Um, so back to back to what we were talking about before, Second Thessalonians. So Um, The Antichrist who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. So where's the temple of God? In our hearts. Yeah, so um, if you want scripture for that, uh, 2 Corinthians 6 verse 16. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So we are, we are the temple of God, and the Holy Spirit, God himself, dwells inside of us. So when we, when we learn about the spirit of the Antichrist, right, it says, he exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God. Can the spirit of the antichrist be at work in non-believers? I don't. I personally don't think so because he, non-believers are not the temple of God. He takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God, not a God, not a different God, God capital G in my Bible, the one true God. He takes his seat in the temple of God right here, displaying himself as being. The One True God, isn't that fascinating and slightly terrifying at the same time? Remember, this is not something that's going to happen fa- in the far distant future that we don't need to worry about. This is a reality that's been happening since Jesus walked the earth, and this is um, this is what's called, uh, yeah, spiritual des- deception. Uh, welcome to the to the true spiritual warfare. We hear about spiritual warfare. We sing songs about spiritual warfare. We pray thinking that we're engaging in some sort of form of spiritual warfare. I'd just like to read you a verse about that. I've just been buzzing out on this verse for the last couple of months. Anybody who's hung out with me has heard it a million times. Um, so it says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. So he's saying we've, um, we've got these weapons and they're for destroying fortresses. They're divine and they're powerful. And then he goes on to tell us what these fortresses are. We are destroying, listen to this, remember, you all promised me your attention. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I might just read that one more time. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Interesting. So he's saying, He's, he's talking about spiritual warfare and he's saying that there's these fortresses that we need to destroy, right? He's given us the weapons that we need to destroy it and, he's, and then he goes on to say what these fortresses are. The fortresses that we're destroying, the true spiritual warfare are speculations are and every lofty thing that we have raised up against the knowledge of God or who he is. The fortresses in our own minds, the fortresses in our own hearts that that we have raised up our opinions of god our speculations our thoughts about god that we have raised up against who he truly is welcome to the true spiritual warfare we talk about spiritual warfare and you know destroying stuff that's going on in parliament and um the neighbor down the road who's getting into a whole lot of rubbish you know no no Spiritual warfare is destroying the speculations and the lofty thoughts and opinions that you have about God that you've raised up um, in your own mind and in your heart that have taken the place of God being there. Are we all on the same page? Once again, so fascinating, but also slightly terrifying at the same time that this is not just something for somebody off way down the road. I Spiritual warfare, I'll pray for them. No, this is in my heart and my mind. Destroying my speculations, my opinions—it's a little bit like, oh, <laughs> all right. So, if um, if this is the case, you know, if we know that there is this real deception out there, if we know about the Antichrist coming in in place of to to deceive, to subtly twist, not um, not to create a new image of God, but to to, to pollute or to um, to manipulate the. Our image of the one true God. Um, I think I think back to Exodus, um, and the, the Israelites are um, coming out of Egypt, and Moses goes up the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. And while he's up there, they make themselves this golden calf out of all their rings and, and all sorts of stuff like that. And Moses comes, or oh, and and Aaron is talking to them, and he says, um, he says, "This is the God that brought you up out of Egypt." This is the God who brought you up out of Egypt. Not this is a new God for you to worship. This is a new God of gold. No, this is the God who took you through the plagues, who opened the Red Sea, who did this, this. This is that God. Interesting, eh? Not a new God, just a distorted, polluted image of who God truly was. Interesting, but slightly terrifying at the same time, eh? So... If that is the reality, how how can I not be deceived how how can I know how can I know the one true God? What if I go to Bible college and get a PhD and study 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 and learn the Bible off off by heart and you know get the most qualifications is that is that legitimate? Do you reckon that would help? Anybody? Mm, I don't know. Well, the Pharisees were some of the most intelligent people in all of Israel. They had, they memorized most of the Bible. They knew everything inside and out. But when the Messiah himself rocked up in the flesh, they didn't even recognize that this could potentially be that person. Slightly terrifying, hey, you know, to devote your whole life to studying this thing and completely missing who he truly was. Maybe I need some more spiritual experiences. Maybe I need to, to come up the front and get prayed for. and Maybe some of the leaders can kind of like impart God into me, or um, you know, maybe I need to go to another conference so I, that I can get Bill Johnson to lay hands on me, and maybe I'll receive some sort of impartation. Do you reckon that would help? I don't know. I've, we've been looking like a little bit um, as a as a life group or um, group of us into. Something really bizarre. It's called it's called Kundalini. We're not obsessed with it. We just found it interesting. <laughs> um, it's 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 a Hindu version of the Holy Spirit. It's absolutely fascinating. What happens in Hinduism, right? Is they have a guru, um, and they have all their disciples, and um, it's kind of just like church, you know, or not like church, the people, but church, the, the Western institutionalized um, building. Is that they what they do is they pray for each other, and the guru comes and places his hand on the forehead of his disciples. Right, And they fall backwards and they have these intense experiences of love, of joy, of peace. This is not Christianity, I'm talking about Hinduism. Laying on of hands. Not, not demonic experiences like, you know, um, maybe that could be a reality, but the ones that they talk about are love, joy, peace, happiness. In Hinduism interesting so we've we've realized we can't get to know God just going to Bible college and studying intellectual study we' learned that we can't know him just through spiritual experiences I personally believe in both of those you know anybody that knows me knows I love to study the word I love to study Hebrew culture I I even love the moves of the Holy Spirit you know the uh, the true and authentic moves of the Holy Spirit some can just draw people um, closer and closer to God it just can't be our foundation that's all Uh, Our entire faith can't be built on these things, because this is, like I read before about the Antichrist, is going to come in all power of, of signs and lying wonders. Interesting, eh? That these things, signs and wonders, miracles, are completely legitimate and completely authentic, but they can totally be counterfeited at the same time, you know? That's why our foundation can't be on an experience, can't be on our intellect, has to be on. The true foundation, which is truly knowing God, and I'm going to talk more about that as we as we move on. So that's kind of the doom and gloom part of the message out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. All right. Um, so, like once again, if this message wants to make you look at Antichrist, you've probably missed the complete point of what this is all about. You know. Um, once again, I hope this does just emphasize the importance and the significance of truly knowing God, of the the seriousness and the real urgency of the time that we live in that we need to be seeking after um, the one true God. So, all right, so once, like I said, 33,000 different denominations, how do I know that the image of God in my own heart is the true one or is it some sort of counterfeit or one that looks like God, that comes in the appearance of God, but isn't actually him. How do I know? Like, am I naive enough to think that through growing up in Sunday school, through attending church services, that I know better than all the other 33,000 different denominations that I know the truth and they don't? Like, I've got a really good mate who's a Jehovah's Witness, and I often meet up with him for lunch, and he comes to evangelize to me because I'm deceived. Um, and, and what happens is that he has the absolute truth. Um, the Jehovah's Witnesses, you may not know the only uh, denomination that are systematically evangelizing the whole world, um, and that they have the absolute truth. And uh, we we need to become Jehovah's Witnesses because um, they have the revelation of the Christ. They know what's true, and I don't sit with the Muslim Muslim friends, and they know what's true. They have the absolute truth. The Christians are deceived. They know who Jesus is. Um, sit with sit with Mormons. Sit with Anglicans and everybody thinks that they have the truth. This is what this is what deception is. You think you know, but you are actually believing in a lie, you know? Deception is not you know that you're deceived, you think that you've got it all together, you think that you've got it all down. And how in my limited life can I possibly imagine that just through growing up in Sunday school, coming to church services, doing the Christian thing, that I could actually know. It's kind of an absurdity when you think about it, um, and I know with me, part of my personal journey has been coming away from just chilling and getting to know God as He as He truly is. I, um, a few a few years back, I um, started talking to to my granddad, um, and was it ten years ago, Dad? That granddad decided to walk away. Um, my, my granddad was a, a, a preacher and a missionary his whole life um, for, I don't know, 50 years or, or something like that. did some of the most incredible work in, in the Solomon Islands, managed to change the entire culture of, of the island in terms of how they respected women. A woman used to have to carry all the heavy loads. Um, he entirely changed the culture of that island in, in terms of how to respect women and to honor and value them. Just did incredible work. A preacher has his whole life and i just read these stories of and and get to know this the probably one of the most selfless the most humble the most incredible men i had ever have, have ever met and then 10 years ago he decided to to give uh give his faith up to to say that he doesn't he no longer believes in jesus anymore um he believes that there is a god who he calls like it's like a spirit and he calls it it it's not a it's not a personal god a god is an it um And for me as a teenager to hear one of the most selfless, humble guys who I so admired and to hear him say that he was rejecting the fact that Jesus was the way to God, that Jesus was the Messiah for me was like a spiritual earthquake, you know, like um, I didn't know what I didn't know what to do. And I had already, I, I was already a Christian. I had already been seeking God and. And trying to trying to get to know him but when this happened it was like oh my goodness everything that I well not everything but so much of what I thought I believed just came <laughs> you know like um, not he wasn't a nutter you know like it's if somebody was on Cuba street and was saying oh Jesus is not the messiah with a massive beard and hair coming out everywhere it's like weirdo you know but this not from somebody who is like that and so for me it was oh my goodness like and it forced me to to my knees and I would go for, for walks and I would just sit in the bush and I'd just pray every single day, um, often at times for hours, and I'd just say, God, I need to know what is true. I need to know what is real. I, I need to know you. Um, and I felt nothing, like nothing, like not, not warm fuzzies, not, oh, my son, I love you or booming audible voices, but nothing. And the and only thing that kept drawing me back was such a desire to to actually know him. And day after day after day, i will just get on my knees and say, say God, I, I need to know you. And um, after, after some time, I, it, I, I just think of the verse, you know, if you seek me with all your heart and with all your soul, you will find me. And God, he can't possibly lie. He's, he, he's no, he has absolutely no ability whatsoever to lie. So when he says, if you seek me with all your heart, you will find me, he He has to reveal himself. Um, One of the most common things I hear, especially from youth is, oh, I sought God, but I didn't find him, so he mustn't be real. Is that revealing your heart or is that revealing the nature of an unconditional God? You know, like it's, um, you know, God, he's there to be found. He just desires people to truly seek him. And so for me, just after time, I just just started and I don't even know what it was inside of me, just something within me just started to, to connect with God. And I started to say, God, I, I love you. I love you. And it, that just became just those simple words just became so real in my heart. And just to be able to sit with him, not even have to say anything at times, but just to know that he was there and to be for the first time in my life, I had been a, grown up as a Christian for the first time in my life, it started to become real. Not, not an image of him because all the images that I had had just come crashing down, you know. And I had to, I had to, I, I look, when I was at that time, it was the craziest thing for my, for my Christian walk. But looking back on it, it was the best thing that could have possibly happened because it forced me to, to seek God for myself and to, to truly ask him, what, what, are you, what are you actually like? I, if, I, I just want to know you. And day by day by day, I would just talk to him, and he just started to reveal bits and pieces of himself to me day after day after day, um, and that for me was absolutely incredible. Um, anyway, can I can just get back on track with this. Um, All right. So, in the Old Testament, we have a really beautiful picture of. Um, coming to know God as he truly is. And it's called, uh, you might have heard of it before of, of the priesthood. Um, and the high priest, what, what he would do is, um, there was one day a year when the high priest would come into what is called the Holy of Holies. Mike, if you want to just, um, put that last slide up. Um, that's a temple, just a big temple and a little room at the back called the Holy of Holies. So that's all that's all we need to know. Um, the high priest was allowed once a year. Um, and this day um, was the Hebrew festival or the Day of Atonement. Um, but in the Hebrew culture, it was known to the people as the day of face-to-face. Interesting title away. So once a year, the high priest would come, and he would make sa- make a sacrifice on behalf of himself, his family, and the nation. And would um, what he would do is he'd, he'd enter through this, this veil. And the veil was fascinating. I just looked it up to see... What it was like, and um, it was the width of a, a large hand, so that 's how that 's how wide the veil was and they 'd have eighty two women working for six months full time to complete one veil eighty two women working full time for six months to complete a veil that 's thick it 's real thick, you know real solid um, and and the high priest was only allowed on this one day of the year to. To come in to to enter into the holy of holies beyond the veil, um, and to minister to God face to face. Now, for all you theologians out there, um, the face to face is it's a metaphor. It's not actually saying, "Oh, here's the physical face of God." It's a type, it's like a typology of a metaphor. The most intimate um, place of of communion, such such oneness, such seeing him as he actually was without any veil. Um, and they were given that the, the Levites or the priests were given this really interesting responsibility. Um, and I'll just read from Leviticus 10, 10, verse 9. It says, Do not drink wine or strong drink, neither you nor your sons with you, when you come into the tents of beating, so that you will not die. It is a perpetual state through your generations. Now, this is this is the money bit. As, and so as to make a distinction between the holy and the profane and between the unclean and the clean, so as to teach the sons of the Israelites all the statutes which the Lord had spoken to them through Moses. So the high priest come once a year beyond the veil into the Holy of Holies to see God face to face as he truly was, They were the only people who God entrusted with the responsibility to discern what was holy and what was profane. What was holy being what was set apart, that which was pure, that which was authentically of God, and that which was profane. The word um, profane, the root of that in in the Hebrew is kahal, and it means polluted or defiled. So only the people who had gone through this process of ministering to God face-to-face could enter into discerning what was Pure, which, that which was holy, and that which had been polluted or defiled. Interesting, eh? Such an interesting responsibility. Um, especially as they had scribes, they had teachers of the law who knew, like, like they had the 613 commandments probably written out right in front of them. Why couldn't the teachers of the law determine what was of God and what was not? They had 613 laws telling them what was and what wasn't okay to do. Very specific, do not curve the corner of your beard. Oh, all right, I won't. Why were the people who had entered through the veil, stand before God to minister to him face to face, why were they the only ones who could determine what was set apart, holy, pure, authentically of him, and that which was polluted or defiled? Interesting, eh? interesting so i personally believe that is the same reality today so who are the priests today if that's an old testament if that's an old school verse doesn't really relate to us today it's the old testament is that right is that what we believe (laughs) who are the priests today so revelation 1 verse 6 and he has made us to be a kingdom maybe something to look up afterwards it's fascinating what does it mean to be a kingdom and priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. We are priests now. So to be a priest, you don't have to put on your gold and, gold and purple trim robes and join the Catholic Church and hold some sort of golden scepter as you walk down this elaborately um, gold-plated room. Um, no, we are priests. All of us are priests. No exception. Not not the pastor. I work two days in a cafe. That's my job, and I don't have any qualifications. It's not for the special. It's for everybody. Um, Priestliness, I believe, one of the most ridiculously incredible invitations that God has given his people. For us, not to enter into a physical temple somewhere in Jerusalem, but day by day by day, enter through the veil when jesus was crucified um the gospels tell us that the veil was torn so remember how thick that veil was how it took 82 women six months to make this veil it was it just tore like this is not a little bit of fabric this is a massive thick thing that you could probably not even lift you know like the veil tore in two. it was his blood that that um, granted us this responsibility was never to do with our own goodness. It's not like um, you become somewhat transformed or somewhat holy or you become a preacher and you have the responsibility now to enter in beyond the veil to the holy place to minister to God. No, it was his blood that achieved that very reality for us. So it's for absolutely everybody. If you If you are a believer in Jesus, then his blood has granted you this responsibility to enter in, beyond the veil. What, what is the veil? What does that represent? I, I personally believe that, like I was talking about before, and, and this deception, the veil is our own opinions, our own speculations, our own ideas of God. How to enter in beyond the veil? How do I enter in beyond my own interpretation of God, beyond my own opinion of God, to minister to him face to face? Once again, not a physical face, but such a, such a oneness, such a knowing him as he truly is. We have 33,000 denominations. If I did a survey here, we would all believe different things. You can, It's just a ridiculous division. Who has entered in beyond the veil to lay down every opinion, every mindset, every speculation that we have raised up against the knowledge of God? Jesus totally has. He's our, he's our high priest. He's the one that, that leads the way for us into this very reality. But I'm talking about, are you prepared to do that? Are you, are you really prepared? Because it's so inconvenient. It honestly is the most inconvenient thing you could possibly think of. You have to give up. It's inconvenient to your time. It's inconvenient to your reputation. It's, in, it's inconvenient to your own ideas about God. Um, everything about it is inconvenient. Why? Because to to enter into this reality means that I have to go back to a friend who led me into truth and say I got it wrong. You no, know, I have to. I have to be humble enough to actually enter into that. It's it's humi- It's actually humiliating to. It's it's so it's so humbling to to have to do that to to know that before you were minister- you are worshiping an image of God. When he, re- when you enter in beyond the veil and you see him as he truly is, it is so, it is so humbling. You know, <laughs> once again, it's inconvenient to your reputation. It's inconvenient to your time. You actually have to make time for him. You know, this like I, like I said with with the Antichrist, his his job is to set up an image of God, God capital G, an image of the true God in the temple of God displaying himself as being God how do I know that the God I'm worshiping is not a fake is not a copy have I been through the process have I entered in beyond the veil beyond my own speculation have I been on my knees asking him that he would strip away everything that I've raised up against him every idea every concept every opinion who is prepared to go through this process are you prepared to go for through this process? Take your time, take your reputation, take your own ideas, people thinking that you've got it all together. I've just found, that, just found out now that no one has it all together. And I sit down with have conversations with people after people, and the only people that have it all together are the ones that are telling me they don't know anything, are the ones that are telling me that they actually have issues in their heart that they need to deal with. We're either dealing with them or we're sweeping them under the rug. There's only two options. We either don't know them as we as we ought to, or really, there's no other option. You know, the people that say, "Yeah, I've, I've got it," sus. They're once again deception. Thinking you know something, like Sandra shared this morning. I think Greg the other week about us and our blank. That's how much we know. Are we prepared to enter in through the veil? through our own concepts, opinions, ideas of God, to actually get on our knees before him and to seek him for who he truly is. It is so terrifying to, to see the state of the church today and how divided it is, but I'm also filled with such incredible hope that we have this unbelievable privilege that you can enter in beyond the veil, that you can stand before and minister to God face to face, that you can see him as he truly is. And that's what true unity looks like in a body. And I believe that God is calling us at the rock to this very reality, that we would come to a place of such absolute unity, that we would so lay down our own pride and our own agendas, that we as a body would come to see him as he as he truly is and that's what true unity is when everybody comes through the same process humbling ourselves walking together you know um and this this ministry is not just one-on-one it's with people as well god can use people to to strip the veil from your eyes you know he's done it time and time again with me when people will come into my life and share something that does not quite match up with what i had previously thought um, that's why we have, to, we have to walk together. We have to be in life groups contending for truth, walking with one another. Are we, are we prepared to do that? It'll be inconvenient. It'll be inconvenient to have to go to life group when you could be watching a movie, to be contending for truth when you could just be proving everybody else wrong because you've got it all right and they know nothing. The invitation, I believe, is one of the most incredible ones of our entire human existence. You have the invitation to see him as he truly is. It's absolutely unbelievable, I think. Um, and now so to the to the worship part. In John four twenty. Have a look. John four um, twenty. but an hour is coming and now is. That's quite interesting. An hour is coming and now is. When the true worshippers What does it mean to be a true worshipper? will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshippers. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. What does it mean to be a true worshipper? Would we like to worship the Father the way that the Father desires? Or would we prefer to worship him the way we desire? see, For me, worship is not songs. It's not singing. It can be kind of cool. I love Sandra's violin. It's nice. (laughs) But the the true worship, remember the high priests were the ones that would minister to God. They went through this process coming beyond the veil, standing face to face with God, um, ministering directly to him. This whole process that I've talked about, this is what worship is. It's being on your knees before Him. It's it's crying out to to truly know Him, and we have this picture of David in the Bible, and it's so fascinating. He was known as like is known as almost like the pioneering worshiper, um, and he would he wrote all our Psalms, by the way. Um, do you think he was a worshiper because he wrote nice songs and had nice tunes, or was he a worshiper because he was a man after God's heart? And see, in Psalm 119, David is crying out to God for insight and understanding into his law. Now, he probably had the 613 Levitical laws written down in front of him. Why did he need to cry out to God for understanding of his law? Because this is what true worship is. An hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and and in truth 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 is not correct doctrine truth is goes so much further than than correct doctrine if i if i think i just think it, like think of an example uh, and i thought of the other week is just um santa claus right if if god is if god is santa claus an authentic response of worship for us would be to come to him and ask him for presence if he was would be authentic right that would be completely legit what if God is the bridegroom you know what if he is a, a loving father then truth looks like truly knowing the father as the spirit illuminates not through not through doctrine not through theory not through trying to suss it all out but when the father truly tears down that veil that's in your eyes and reveals his nature and his character to you and you express your worship your expression of that is becoming a son is becoming mature like Sandra talked about in the morning you know we're, it's not just about knowing truth we're, we're becoming we're becoming true we're becoming more and more and more true every day as our veils are Taken away, a ripped, tear down from our eyes as we enter into that holy place, seeing the Father as He truly is—not a concept, not an image of God, not not something, not some image of Him, but Him as He truly is—and our expression of worship. This is our expression of worship to Him, is truly seeking Him, truly ministering to Him, to to come to a place of such of such oneness that your thoughts are His thoughts, every little intention of your heart comes comes from Him, every isn't that just absolutely incredible to actually know him, to actually know his heart, to actually know his thoughts, to come to a place of such oneness with him. Now it is coming, and that is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Knowing him, seeing him truly as illuminated by by the spirit of God and not by our own opinions, not by our own, Striving or Bible study, and um, that's pretty much all I have for tonight. Um, I just actually no, I just share one more thing. Um, just once again, tying everything up back to what we talked about at the start: the Antichrist, the image of God, the spirit of the Antichrist. Um, it says, "Then the lawless, nu- then the lawless one, or then the Antichrist will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of His mouth." and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. Have you ever been slain by an appearance of somebody? So if I... Have you ever been slain by somebody's appearance? Kirk, you're looking good tonight, mate, but you don't kill me when I look at you, you know? like <laughs> um, This man of lawlessness, this Antichrist, is, is brought to an end... At the appearance of his coming. So when the true and authentic thing comes, when you come to a place beyond the veil to see him face to face as he truly is, the appearance of his coming the appearance of his coming in your heart of truly knowing him, that which is a counterfeit, that which is fake, that which is an image, is it's totally brought to an end. And, and once again that is the, that is the only way we can um, not be deceived is by truly knowing what what is authentic what is real what is what is true the appearance of the true messiah the true Christ when that which is fake is revealed by that which is true there's no there's no comparison you know when you come to know him you come to know him you know like i didn't know <laughs> sometimes. It's hard to put these things to words. I didn't know that I could actually know him, like actually know him, like not just know about him, but actually know him. And that's what he does. When, when, when the image of God in your heart is slain, is, um, is, is brought to an end, and the real thing is revealed, you, you know that you know that you know that you know that you know. It's such an incredible privilege. But who, who is prepared to enter into the process to day by day by day by day by day? enter into the holy place, come beyond the veil, to be on your knees. It's so inconvenient to be on your knees, truly ministering to him, one heart, one soul, one mind. And I, I believe that this is an invitation for all of us, especially at the Rock, as God is, um, is doing such incredible things here. Can Can we as a community be humble enough to walk with one another um, to, to lay down our pride, to lay down our agendas, to lay down our speculations, the lofty things that we've raised up against the knowledge of God and be humble enough to walk with one another um, and to come into seeing him as he truly is. It's incredible, 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 incredible privilege that we have. Hey?